This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in, folks, to episode number 93 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson to my right, Noah Grant, myself to your left. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, you may notice uh, a little bit of some different graphics in the past couple weeks. We've been messing with some new graphics, a little bit of new recording, things like that. So it's pretty exciting. Nick, before we talk about what's actually going to go into the show, I'm going to bring you in a little bit early here. What do listeners have to know? Of course, today is Sunday, January 2nd. What do they have to know about our recording time next week because of the double header that is going on between the men's and women's games. Yeah. Uh, just pushing it back a day. Uh, so we'll just, we'll be recording on Monday. Uh, obviously, you know, I think, you know, we'll be fine. You'll be yeah. fine. Everybody will be fine. <laughs> yeah. It'll be good. Of course we, we thank our listeners as always for, you know, what, what they've been able to, um, be patient with us and the things that we are going through as well, too. So like Nick Manson mentioned, uh, Monday night recording, that will mean a Tuesday 6 a.m. release uh, unless otherwise noted there. But, hey, we're here with you today, episode number 93 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Of course, we've got a little bit of women's hockey blurb to talk to. They were pretty successful last night on Saturday. Uh, men's hockey. What a weekend for them. Great weekend for the Huskies uh, in terms of the scoreboard. We're going to talk a little bit of, uh, of Minnesota Wild very briefly, I think, probably to start the show and uh, the Winter Classic that was not to be on the scoreboard for the Wild. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some NCHC stuff, a little bit about Western Michigan and a little bit about what the conference might look like in the future and kind of take a look around the NCAA as well. You won't want to miss it. And as always, we're going to start with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Yep, Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundups. We, uh, you know, recap some of this weekend's actions. Uh, men's hockey getting back in action since uh, the end of their winter. Uh, I should say not the end, but since the beginning of the winter break. It's the end of their winter break. So uh, four to one win on Friday up in Bemidji at the home and home. And then again, a five two win yesterday at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center to complete the sweep. Uh, how about Sam Henches, though, yeah. uh, returning from injury from late in October? Missed 11 games, uh, three goals, one assist. So uh, uh, his presence back in lineup was certainly uh, nice to see. Uh, Vidi Miatin also, who, uh, you know, just continues to put shots on that, continues to be snake bitten, but uh, not the same story on Saturday. He potted two um, and a pair. So uh, good to see him get uh, back on the scoreboard, also added an assist. 
Uh, how about this? Easton Brodzinski with three points on the weekend. He also now passes Johnny Brodzinski, now tied for 23rd on St. Cloud State's all-time list now with 114 points. Seven players with an assist on Friday, nine players on Saturday. So multiple Huskies finding the score sheet. So good news for Huskies fans. is, And that's the one thing I think uh, Noah will talk about probably later is what Sam Hanches does is he balances all three of those lines. We talked about that before, but uh, the score sheet would also indicate that that as well. Uh, how about the power play, too? We know that this is the nation's best power play, uh, over 30%. Now, you and I have discussed before that five-on-five five play is important, and it was because it also provided them uh, some of the reasons why they were also uh, on the minute minute so many times. Five player play goals in the weekend. Uh, how about this? Four for eight yesterday, so 50% on the power play, eight opportunities. And again, with a unit this good, you play with fire so many times, so uh, eventually you're going to get burned, or for Bemidji, you'll get burned four times. Uh, Jackson <laughs> Castor, yeah, uh, on Saturday uh, coming in, for David Rennick, a uh, very, very good game. In fact, I think he was a little bit overshadowed by just how good the power play was, uh, stopping 23 or 25 uh, just in his third appearance this weekend. So uh, just fantastic, uh, you know, start for him. And then, of course, Rennick on Friday, stopping 30 or 31. So both goaltenders uh, having great performances this weekend. Uh, so with this uh, weekend sweep, a, a much needed, I think, Noah as well. I think most Husky yes. fans uh, would agree with that, especially since this was non-conference. This is what uh, builds your resume for uh, the pairwise. Uh, now 12 and six overall, uh, uh, six and three at home, six and three on the road. So uh, kind of nice to have that, you know, nice symmetrical numbers. But either way, uh, those numbers, uh, the Huskies, uh, you know, you can throw those numbers out the window. They can make it to Boston. They won't care how they get there. Uh, next weekend is the big one. Uh, Duluth coming into town. That's uh, January 6th and 7th. Actually, I believe it's 7th and 8th, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, for- uh, so yeah, who, uh, who, not, who the heck typed these notes, Nick? Right. <laughs> not sure, but a big weekend as Duluth was also swept by Mankato. They've actually now lost four in a row. So uh, Duluth will be motivated. Uh, these teams know each other well. It's always a tight battle between these two squads as, again, the Duluth comes into the Herb next weekend. Yeah, oddly enough, actually, in the women's segment, which we're going to talk about right now, I actually have January 7th and 8th. So I'm just here to set you up for failure, Nick. You know, not that, not that you don't do that yourself. Per usual. Right? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> The Huskies Warming House podcast going downhill since episode one. Um, uh, speaking of things trending in the opposite direction, how about this? Women's hockey back in action at the Battle of the Berg in Pittsburgh, uh, earning a 4-3 to three overtime victory over Penn State to advance to the championship game uh, against Syracuse. Uh, that game will be today, but Penn State gets Boston University in the third place game. Uh, the hero, Taylor Lynn, 31 seconds into overtime, finding a rebound uh, at the side of the net and potting home the goal for the victory. And even more interesting, St. Cloud State, not the greatest of starts for them. The down 2 to nothing at one point, then down 3-1, to one, entering period number three before storming back. Emma Gentry, two goals for her, including the game-tying goal and it, you know, with an extra attacker in the dying minutes of the last period. Um, and junior forward Courtney Hall with the other goal uh, in the game, her first ever collegiate goal um, in the contest. That one came off a rebound as well. Um, interesting fact here, Nick. Uh, only the second time the two teams have ever played each other. Uh, the only other time, October 2014, 3-2 to two loss uh, for the Huskies. But they're moving on. 
Moving on to the championship game two today on Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, at the time of recording here in Pittsburgh. Uh, the team improving to 7-11-1 on the year. And their next games, as we've alluded to so graciously, will be with the men's team in that doubleheader against Duluth January 7th and 8th at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So if you're uh, in the Granite City area, you're looking to figure out either where do I watch some hockey or where do I go see some hockey, games will be 3 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. for the women's team and men's team on Friday, and then 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. for women's and then men's on Saturday. So go out, check out some of those hockey games. I know Nick Maxson will be around. He'll be in Stewart hall there. Um, but, uh, and then he'll be sleeping very graciously um, because it will be a very long weekend um, for the broadcast team, but it uh, should be a good one. And uh, speaking of broadcast, Nick, uh, I think our next topic uh, in the Huskies Illustrated weekly roundup uh, had one heck of a broadcast regardless of the result. Yeah, Winter Classic, uh, very, very good spectacle. Um, unfortunately, uh, the results weren't as uh, expected or hoped for the home team. We'll dive into more of that a little bit deeper later in the show. But uh, how about the NHL, though? Speaking of spectacles and maybe speaking of different things league-wise, uh, NHL has actually reduced the COVID isolation period uh, from 10 days to 5. This comes uh, from CDC guidance that was, I believe, early last week. Uh, early this week or if not late last week uh but however the canada continues to have uh, capacity limitations uh, which has led to more postponements up there in canada uh, a bigger sign uh noah that the league is really trying to clamp down and uh, and making sure that they get the ticket revenue uh, we talked about this uh, during the summer that's a very important uh, revenue source for the league and uh with these uh postponements uh with the canadian uh, province is still held, holding those capacity limits. Uh, very easy to see that um, why these are postponed. Now, mind you, the NHL has come out and said they expect to complete a full 82-game season. Uh, so most of these postponements, although they haven't been rescheduled as of yet, uh, all indications that are at some point they will. So uh, for those up there in the Canadian cities who want to see the home team, just bear with them. Um, they'll get them scheduled probably a little bit later. Um, but uh, how about, speaking of cancellations, right, uh, how about the uh, Women's International Tournaments, the World Junior Championships, uh, and also, uh, you know, a couple, and how about the, also the Men's World Juniors actually getting underway? Um, I think this is a topic also a little bit later on, Noah, but, uh, you know, the, there was some controversy surrounding how the, the men's would essentially play on uh, the women's, were canceled there really wasn't any discussion at all about how do we move it or how do we change it uh to make sure that it's played and then the men's end up getting canned even uh just not even two games into the into the preliminary round so um uh kind of just crappy all around for any international yeah. play um so um what we're hearing, though, however, is that the double IHF is trying to work next month to reschedule a tournament at a later date. Uh, I've heard the summer maybe for the men's. Again, I haven't heard an inkling in the women's. Uh, to me, if you reschedule the men's, you just you know, why not include the women's at the same time? Because, yeah. um, but you know, again, reasons uh, that uh, we've seen in the past with uh, some of those women's events being sort of. Uh, left hang, hung out to dry. So I, I do hope the women's and the men's will both respectively get a chance uh, to have that tournament make up. It's my favorite hockey tournament of the year. And uh, just, you know, for those players who uh, prep for that in, on the international stage, I know it's, uh, you know, something to look forward to quite a bit.
Uh, meanwhile, a couple other things here to the CHL is also looking to reinstate uh, Logan Mayu. Um, again, he was under indefinite suspension from the OHL. Uh, sounds like it'll be removed. Uh, looks like actually just yesterday, uh, yep. January 1st. So uh, that's a 26 game suspension. If you're looking at it from the start of the season until now, which means he is eligible to return. Now, whether the team itself will allow him to play, that is a separate conversation. But the league itself uh, has said that he is good to go. Uh, mind you, Logan Mayu, we talked about him during the summer as well. Uh, he was charged uh, for invasion of privacy and defamation uh, for taking an offensive photo of a woman without consent during a consensual sexual encounter and then distributing it. Uh, so in case you're wondering why uh, he was indeed suspended, that would have been why. Also made news from uh, the Montreal Canadiens after he was picked in the first round. Uh, again, we dove back into that in summer, but uh, that's uh, the same player who we're referring to here. Yeah, it- you know, it's kind of interesting too. I, you know, you're talking about, you know, he plays for the London Knights. He's a defenseman, and uh, um, you know, really good hockey talent, obviously. But I, uh, you know, one of the things that the league had talked about was kind of some of the steps that he had to go through, and it sounds like from some of the stuff that he has gone through um, with the psychology team and some of the, um, I, I don't want to, I guess, rehabilitation is probably the best word to describe kind of the overall encompassing what's going on. It sounds like progress has been really well. Um, he's continuing with that plan, even as he plays for the London Knights and moving on too. So again, we talked about this so many times in the summer, but we hope this thing is trending in the right direction. And, you know, he's a young kid and you hope that, you know, you learn from this mistake and move on. Uh, speaking of the world juniors though, I know it's obviously odd timing, but how cool would it be to have the world juniors like in the middle of summer or something like that and get some kind of bonus hockey, one of the best tournaments in the world, some of the best young hockey players in the world during that time. I just, I, I think it would be extremely, extremely exciting. Final topic here, Nick, in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we've got a signing, a milestone, and uh, three injuries to get to. Uh, so why don't we do that? Uh, let's start in Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild. Uh, head coach Dean Evison earning a multi-year extension on Thursday, as well as the three assistant coaches, goalie coach, two video coaches, uh, Darby Hendrickson among that group there as well. So congratulations. I if you're wondering why Dean Evison, why the extension? Well, in his third season overall, he's 62, 30, and 7 as of last night and was a Jack Adams finalist, uh, award uh, finalist last year, losing to Carolina's Rod Brindamore, who Carolina had a great, great season last year. Uh, in milestone news, the grade eight, Alex Ovechkin pe- passing Dave Onchuk on Friday for the most power play goals in NHL history. Uh, a cannon in a 3 to 1 victory against Detroit, his 275th special teams marker i believe they said it was something like it's like 40 percent of those have been a one-timer from the top of the circle or higher or something like that so i think you know where the man has set up uh speaking of guys that you know have have set up uh in their own office we all often hear about gretzky's office as well too right wayne gretzky giving ovi compliments uh ovi sits third all or fourth all-time in goals with 752. But the great one, Wayne Gretzky, says there's no doubt that Ovi will pass him for the lead at some point in his career. Gretzky leading the pack with 894 tallies. Uh, Like we mentioned also as well, Ovechkin, a third of his total NHL goals have been power play goals, and he just moved to third all-time on game-winning goals with 119 game-winners in that same game against Detroit. Lastly, yeah, it's all right. This is whatever. Um, The... I Ovechkin has always been so intriguing to me because, you know, he's almost like the Connor McDavid of shooting. It's like when Connor McDavid comes up the ice, you know, you're not going to stop him. When Ovechkin sets up in his office on the left side of the ice, you know, it's coming and you're still not going to stop it. So 
Um, unfortunately, what also never stops is the injury train. Three injuries in the National Hockey League, albeit with a lot of COVID things as well, too. But in actual injury news, Philly, Sean Couturier, week to week with an upper body injury. Vegas forward, Max Pacioretty, he's going to be out indefinitely after wrist surgery. He just came back, and now he's going to be out again. It's been a tough road for Pacioretty, who has had a pretty good season otherwise in the limited games that he has had. And Seattle, who has not had a great season, missing one of their leading scorers. Now Brandon Tanev, he's shelled for the year with an ACL injury. Once again, folks, welcome in episode number 93 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson to my right, myself, Noah Grant, on your left. Uh, Nick, we don't have a trivia question this week. Like you mentioned, for those who hadn't listened to the open of the show, we will have a different recording time uh, next week. We'll record on Monday night and release the show on Tuesday. Just want to make sure listeners are updated that and aware. Um, but other than that, uh, if you were hanging out yesterday on Saturday watching some Huskies hockey as Nick was, there was also another event going on before we get to that, and that was the Winter Classic. Didn't go so well for the Wild. A 6-4 loss on the scoreboard really was 6-2 until a couple of tallies at the end of uh, um, at the end of the uh, contest. But it's a five-goal period, second period for the St. Louis Blues. And, uh, yeah, you, you asked me off the air how quickly did I turn, turn the game off. Well, I was actually at hockey, but if I was watching, you know, that middle period, I think it would have been <laughs> pretty swift, pretty swift. Yeah. And you know what's what's not taking it away from Jordan Cairo. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, uh, four four points. I believe uh, they did announce that, that was a, uh, cl- a winner uh, classic record for points in a in a winner classic game. So I got to give props to him. A uh, couple of those goals um, for Jordan Cairo. I think though his as a second goal i think uh was just a nice little pull up and just a chip over the shoulder that was a hell of a shot uh so a lot of skill play uh st louis playing uh nearly with a full slate of players so that you know they looked good uh minnesota looked like they were missing some key guys because they were also they hadn't played in a while well because they hadn't uh that's gotta be tough that's gotta be tough i mean i'm not trying to take away anything from uh the wilds loss because it certainly wasn't great uh but at the end of the day uh, you know, when you're without Jonas Brodine, especially Jared Spurgeon, also Eric Sinek, who I think is such an underrated defensive center for this squad. Uh, you're playing shorthanded with a lot of key players that uh, the, the odds kind of dip a little bit. And then uh, I'm not sure if, you know, having it being what, 5.6 below zero at puck drop uh, Fahrenheit yeah. for those who may ever watch or something like that. I know yeah, it was, it was, winter... they said they said that it got to a point where it was like negative eight in terms of the actual temp, but the feels like temp, they were both NHL records for a winter classic and yep. um, shocker, Minnesota's cold. <laughs> right. I think, I think it's funny because uh, a couple of people asked like, Hey, Nick, I, I heard they had to heat the ice. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They had to heat it. Well, how, how does that work? I'm like, well, you can't put giant heaters above the ice. I'm like, it's in their little grid bone down below. So, um, and Noah, maybe I'll pass this on to you. Um, I know the answer for sure, but uh, I want to see if you know uh, what would be the reason that they would heat the ice for for maybe those who maybe aren't as technical with the ice surface as you and I are. From what I understand, it's actually I think so that the blades don't break. Um, from what I what I was told is that um, it, it it can be very abrasive in terms of you know the steel. It also cha- it also changes the. Um, just in general, if you have ice that's too cold, the ice will start to kind of like crack and it will start to flake. Um, so the ice surface is not great, which I don't know how they warmed it up 
I, I'm guessing it was probably glycol or whatever they use in it's the in fighting the, uh, underneath. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, um, ice is usually kept between 14 and 22 degrees Fahrenheit. And I got to be honest, the the wild might not have looked that great last night, but the ice itself looked absolutely fantastic. There is a huge bonus to playing a winter classic game at night um, and having it be cold too as well. But I thought the ice looked fantastic. But Nick, am I anywhere remotely close? On yeah. My answer. Yeah. yeah? So okay. it's it's brittle. It's brittle. Again, yeah. you know, especially when you resurface it, that top layer, um, you know, it's almost you know, well, like glass essentially. And also yeah. too, when it's colder, anything can stick to it, which also means the puck isn't as uh, you know, it, it's more friction, so it doesn't slide as well. So, um, and it, it's funny because you're not really heating the ice. In essence, what ends up happening is you know, let's, let's go ahead. Science with Nick here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you're running glycol through at about 22 degrees and well, it becomes warmer, you know, if the temperature on you drops. So I, I don't know if heating the ice is really the technical term is just end up being that when your surroundings are colder than what you're running, yeah, you're essentially hitting the ice. So, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, no. like, like you said, they they have that that they have that range that they operate in, and what most people don't know. It's always fun to ask people who have never been to a hockey game or people who have been to hockey games and don't know much about the ice. You know, they you know say, oh, how thick do you think the ice is? You know, they give you one of these or something like that. It's like no, you know, the ice is at the start of the season is usually about three fourths of an inch thick, and then in a normal rink, it works its way up to about an inch once you hit about February or March. So um, if you ever go to a rink, for example, um, the Mesa Arena, Minot, North Dakota is a great example. At the start of the season, you can actually see the screws, the second set of screws on the bottom of the kick plate. The kick plate is the yellow strip that runs along the bottom of the boards there. And then as you go through, once you hit playoff time in February and March, that strip will actually start, those screws will start to disappear. So you'll see that extra little bit of ice that will go in there. But like like you uh, alluded to, it's only about an inch thick. So, you know, heating and cooling is possible in terms of bringing that ice temperature up and down just because of the fact that, you know, you don't have a whole lot of ice that you got to worry about. If you think about it in the same concept, by the way, for those of you who play pond hockey, you only need barely more than that to actually play pond hockey. You only need, you know, an inch or two to really play pond hockey. And you only need about whatever it is, three inches or something like that to actually bring a full size vehicle out on the ice. I mean, it's, or maybe a little more than that, maybe like five or six, but it's not, it, it's not much. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's six to eight inches for a full size vehicle. So for, for those listening at home and wanting to go ice fishing, <laughs> Uh, Noah Grant uh, well, is trying to kill you, apparently. So it's 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 a lot less. My point being, it's a lot less than people think. I mean, people think that you know it has to be ice that's you know extremely thick, like a foot thick, and it's not. I mean, obviously it helps, but once you get beyond the range that Nick referenced, there it really doesn't add a whole lot to structural integrity. Um, you know, in terms of ice. So yeah, ice is crazy. The fact that people thought that they would put you know. Uh, essentially knives on their feet and play a sport with them, <laughs> you know, kind of an odd little concept. And if you really want to get technical, your blades actually don't really touch the ice, they actually hydroplane across the ice and it's actually U shape. And there's actually two edges on your hockey skates too. So, and it's only an eighth of an inch thick, but anyway, Nick, we digress. All we what, know. What? what okay. <laughs> unless, unless you want to talk about how hockey equipment no. works. I think the women's hockey team figured that out yesterday and a great successful uh, bid for them that their overtime win Taylor Lind winning that game 31 seconds in overtime against Penn state. They play Syracuse today. We'll have to keep an our, our eye on that one. 
Nick, we talked about women's hockey trending in the wrong direction before the Christmas break. Losers of their last four finally getting back in the win column. They're in a championship of sorts, even though it is a holiday tournament. You know, it, it is we, uh, you and I, let's be frank, didn't get a chance to watch the game just because of where it was located in the tournament. But how important is it for this women's team to kind of just get a win like that? You know, have a character win where they come from behind, they win in overtime in dramatic fashion. Obviously, we're curious to see how they follow it up, but how important was it for them to beat Penn State the way they did yesterday? You know, we and during those discussions too, Noah, we talked about consistency, right? So, yeah, one game is great. Uh, it gives you something to put one foot on, but now you got to follow up with the other foot, right? Um, and it's sh- you hope that – you know, and this team historically, at least from the times we've been watching, has not been a, a great come from behind team. Um, so to see them come back and then win it, I think is huge um, in t- terms of confidence and in, in terms of what could be a maybe a spark for momentum. Uh, but then again, it's one game, right? So you, it's to me, you know, we can look at it three, four games down the road. And if they've, you know, won three out of four or four out of five, we can look at this game as the starting point for that. But unfortunately, as of right now, again, game playing today at two o'clock for the championship of a holiday tournament right now, it's just one game. So I want to see more, but it's good to see that they've at least started that trend in the right direction. Yeah, kind of curious when we were uh, doing the research and they they might have it up this morning. But as I when I looked last night at whatever it was, like 1130, you know, 1145 at night, they actually didn't have the box score up yet. They just had the summary. So I actually don't even know who was in net for the Huskies yesterday. Um, but whoever was in net. They stopped all the pucks they needed to because <laughs> the Huskies won. Of course, uh, it's been a very impressive campaign for Sonia Hole of the sophomore net miter. And then Emma Paluzny is always doing Emma Paluzny things in net for this Huskies team as well, too. Um, Nick, I, I think that's about all we got on women's hockey. I mean, we, like you said, we didn't get a chance to really take a glance at the game. But, uh, um, you know, the encouraging thing. Taylor Lynn continues her successful season. Uh, she's predominantly a playmaker, but good to see her get on the board. It's always exciting to score, you know, a game winning goal of any sort. Uh Courtney Hall with her first collegiate goal, always an exciting moment. We've been in the building for quite a few of those in the past couple of years, too. Um, and then Emma Gentry continues to be an offensive force. What a great pickup she has been for the Huskies as well, too. Nick, before we move on to men's hockey, I was actually kind of thinking about that, too. I was looking back and checking out some old episodes, you know, episode, you know, 16, 15. And we, you know, looking back at some of the graphics changes that we've had, too. We've changed too, Nick, since uh, 2020. We look older and slower, and it's not good. I mean, how are you feeling about that? Because I look like an, I feel like a, I feel fine. I look like a 12 year old in our earlier episodes, and now I'm just yeah, I, I look like the Michelin Man now, and it's it's tough. <laughs> you're like what you're, you're like just, deal with it. Just you, just. You, <laughs> We'll put you this way. Um, get more, get 10 more years in your attraction than come calling me. Yeah. Well, if, when I call you in 10 more years, uh, what a nursing home will you be at? And what's the, what's the speed dial? <laughs> I think the speed dial is nine one one and the, uh, the room number will be, I don't know. It probably starts with a, a C for corner's office. I don't know. We'll see. Probably starts with an L for life alert or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. The necklace, the necklace will be out and in, within hands reach. That's for sure. Well, maybe if you page me and you fax me, I'll be there as quick as I can uh, using your technology of your time. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I'll, uh, I'll dial, I'll dial, I'll dial you collect. That's what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. Just remember to call me on Sundays because it's cheaper that day. Okay. Uh, get your rotary phone out and I'll be there. 
hey, hey, it's seven, it's seven cents a minute for the first five minutes and then three cents a minute and then after, just like Doug Flutie said. <laughs> Yeah, that's a um, way that's a way throwback. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, speaking of throwbacks, I mean, I was watching Harry Potter over Christmas break because that's kind of a thing that I like to do. It was Harry Potter first and now it's been the Marvel movie. So I've been catching up on the entire series. So I've had a little bit of time. Um, when's the last time and maybe there are more in the Twin Cities. When's the last time you've legitimately seen a phone booth? Ooh. Uh, oh, Jesus. If you if I'm being honest with you uh the one because uh, yeah they even in the airport they took them out um if i'm being honest with you it's probably been a solid when did that place close i want to say 10 to 12 years yeah and so and and here so for minnesota natives uh there is a uh, kind of a hole in the wall place that was my favorite place to uh, to eat. In fact, our family was there almost every weekend. Um, not that far away from uh, Bloomington Ice Garden. It was called Andy's Tap, and uh, it was run by um, kind of an older gentleman. Uh, they had I'm, the the basket I'm, burgers. I'm, right? I'm assuming he was Andy, right? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but it was the flat top, you know, old school type burgers. But you know the and then the old like little small chicken drummies, right? And then. Yeah. Texas toast. But the thing is they put them in like these, you know, little basket things and the servers would come out. They'd have like 12 baskets just rung up their arm. And it's just, you know, as a kid, you're like, how the hell do you carry all that? Right. Um, but burgers are fantastic. While I played pool and, and everything else, uh, I had pictures of Pepsi. Of course, parents had two pitchers <laughs> of beer. Um, so it was just one of those places you can go. It didn't matter how you dress, but the food was excellent. It was, you know, relatively priced too. But the reason why I bring that up, this place was right in the entrance. Um, there was a like a built-in phone booth to this place, um, yeah. and it literally legit had like you know the accordion door and everything. It was um, you know what what two foot by two foot had the payphone sitting on the top, and uh, yeah, it was a uh, was quite the spectacle. That place closed uh, after Bloomington rezoned it because uh, it was in a strip mall. And they yeah. tore that entire place down. Uh, now it's just a stupid Walgreens. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know anyway. i think i think that there there might be one of those like you're kind of mentioned where it's not like the full phone booth but like i think we have like a partial one in the armory in my hometown because you know it's a building that was built in the 50s i think there still is one in there but other than that i, I can't remember any in recent memory before we move on to men's hockey by the way speaking of the server piece i mean you've worked in a restaurant before talking about you know the impressiveness there are some servers who have some serious skill carrying plates and stuff like that multiple plates and obviously, I feel like, you know, as you serve more, you continue to figure out how to do it better and better. Is there a secret to, you know, the servers that carry three or four plates or items in both hands and they don't drop them and look three like plates? That? Yeah. Or if they look like that. Yeah. If they look it's like funny that. I could, I could I could show you how to do it. So it's uh, it, it's one of those deals where I don't know, like it's it's a balancing thing. Um, oh really? About finding, it's it's <laughs> shut up. Um, it's it's you, you figure out how to like so you're gripping one plate, you know, with this you're sticking out your your pinky for one, and you know the plate's got the still the three points of contact. Um, you know, at the end of it, you know, you're kind of forced to learn it, um, especially in a, in a busy spot. Um, there was a, a couple places that I worked at where you know quite literally you were yelled at 
if you didn't have what they call full hands out uh, for those in the industry. It's it's kind of that full hands in and full hands out. So when you go out, you leave with full hands, making sure that plates are hot, food's hot right to whoever's eating it, and also make sure you get cleaned up too. So full hands in. So that means even if it's not maybe your tables you're serving, if you're walking through the restaurant, if you see something, grab it. Um, just that whole teamwork kind of aspect. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was I kind of got excited because I saw you looking through the cabinet. And you're like, do I have some plates here that I can pull this off? I, I do. Tired. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I, not going <laughs> to. I got to ask, though, I have you have like what's the you personally or someone else? Have you ever seen one of those go wrong where like, you know, the plate ended up on an entire family or, you know, have, I mean, I'm sure obviously it happened. Accidents happen where people get run into and stuff like that. But is there one that in particular that stands out that you're like, wow, that yes. was not good. <laughs> yes. And it, it was actually a, it was actually a, a tray incident. Um, and this was at old Chicago down in Ames. I was actually working down there when I was at Iowa state. Um, and, uh, I forget exactly what happened, but I think, uh, it was, it was a guy, it was two deep dish pizzas. Right. And mind you, yeah. when they come around and they're in the metal tins, right. That stuff's hot. Yeah. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, he was coming around the corner. I think another booth, somebody wasn't paying attention. They went to try to get out of their booth. So they stuck their foot out. Um, so he oh, wow. almost saved it. He almost saved it, but he did kind of a three sixty. but it was already, off the shoulder. So at that point you're kind of wobbly, right? And upside down on another table, thank God for the most part, like it was, it wasn't a direct hit with most of the patrons there, but one of the pizzas slid, it was just sauce all over them. It was, oh, it was, no. not, that was, and mind you, that's fresh out of the oven too. So, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't pretty the, if, if I recall correctly, the, the people, like, I think they kind of saw it happen and they were like, well, Okay, first of all, that person over there should have been paying more attention, and they actually felt pretty bad for the guy because he was just like, "Oh God, I just burned somebody." And they're like, "It's fine, just whatever. yeah." So, yeah, those ones are always. I always feel like anything involving liquids or like a hot liquid, like you mentioned, like coffee, things like that. Because I mean, once it's going, I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no looking back. We always, we always chuckle as you're, you know, as you're at a restaurant though, and you hear a plate or something shatter in the background, and we're like, well, Gordon Ramsay wouldn't be happy. You know, what are you, an idiot sandwich? You know, and you're always like, oh, somebody's about to get fired because <laughs> there goes a plate. But I mean, there's. It isn't isn't the saying true? I know that we've kind of been on this topic, but it's interesting. Is isn't the saying true though that like nice people can't work in a kitchen? I mean, in some senses, like, I mean, depending on where you work, obviously. But like you know, in a, in a no, place that's, I w- high, that's high intensity. I mean, no, it, it's not that at all. It's that you got to have thick skin. Yeah, um, it's it's not that it's nice or not nice. It's you you got to understand that you know the restaurant industry. If you, I mean. We, we could go off on a big tangent here, but, and we already are, but I'll try to reel us back in here a little bit. Um, you know, everything, you know, that you produce, um, whether it's labor, whether it's the food, it, you're paying for it, right? There's, there's not a lot of like something I'm paying for that's, you know, getting multiple uses out of it. That's generating me rent, revenue, right? So everything that you send out, um, is important. So at the end of the day, yeah, when, when food's up in the window and especially you got busy times and, you know, the chef's trying to get people in back to run it out. Yeah. Because the last thing yeah. you want is, you know, and everybody's probably been through this too. Just, you know, you, you put up, especially the types of fries. I mean, people don't understand, you know, too, it's, you know, when you go to a fast food chain, you get soggy fries at McDonald's. Like it's, it's actually, you know, such a mood killer. Right. So, yeah. but think of, you know, some of the different things that local restaurants, I mean, they're hand peeling these fries. So they're paying somebody to peel the potato, to stick it in and get the right size. And then actually to hand fry it. Um, it's great stuff, but it also means that 
the whole timer those or the time that it stays hot and crispy is actually much shorter so that when it's up then it's right it's gotta go so you know it's you have to understand that you know emotions can run high and it's because again you know the clock ticks every second counts and you know, if stuff sits yeah. up there for even 60 seconds sometimes that 60 seconds can mean you have to restart the entire plate because it goes cold and one element if i'm waiting for a new fries that means the burger is also going cold and you start to create a domino effect so yeah, well, speaking of things that were hot and crispy this weekend, Nick, how about the men's hockey team, by the way? Uh, yeah. They they were rolling, uh, you know, special teams-wise. Actually, five power play goals in eight opportunities uh, this weekend. They're credited with four because one of them was a five-on-three. So they had two power play goals last night, but one of them only counts because of the way that that's, that's kind of set up. It's kind of confusing. But anyway, they scored five goals on the man advantage, and that's the part that's extremely important here for this Huskies hockey club. Special teams look good. I mentioned on mncaa for the soda pod that i thought if sam hentish returned that he would have at least a point this weekend while i was right kind of uh he had four he had three goals he's over a point per game player now what in the heck did sam hentish put in his coffee during his rehabilitation um you know what was the story for him this weekend i'm insanely impressive well you know we talked about you know, what he brings to the lineup and how his skating, his aggressiveness and his skill, sometimes his patience, his, his goal that he scored yesterday was just a, you know, a patient play, a good goal scorer's goal. Uh, and the other thing that Sam Henches brings is, you know, he, he sort of balances out the lines. You know, we, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, again, on the broadcast, you know, it just it allows um, Brett Larson to kind of put the players that he wants to be with. Uh, so he, he definitely puts everybody in the right spot, I think. Um, and then everybody feeds off of him. You know, he, he's a driver of, uh, of the offense. He, he certainly can be, especially with, you know, the way that he skates, the way that he forechecks, and again, the way they shoots the puck. So, um, he, it's, it's fun to see it. And I think for Sam too, um, he's aware that, especially as a, as a draft prospect, again, of the Minnesota wild seventh round pick, um, yeah, I'm not sure what his future plans are. He's technically a senior this year. He does have an extra year of eligibility if he chooses to use that. Um, but I think he knows that, you know, the injury has kind of, you know, the injury problems, I should say, has, has hurt his stock a little bit. So I think he understands that his opportunities are starting to run slow. Um, and I think that he knows that he's got to contribute and start to make an impression now. Um, and also for, you know, this team, you know, carrying over some energy from last year, you know, hitting plates since what, October 22nd. So uh, it's been quite a while for him, uh, yeah. for a team that is certainly got the talent and the, and the depth to, to make another deep run into the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I think he was excited to get back into this groove uh, and to contribute. So good, good for him. And this was the same henches we thought we would see. Uh, and this, uh, the same henches that we, you know, we, we all kind of got introduced to back in his freshman year. You know, and uh, you know what a season he's having in general, and the, the question mark remains. And this is a this is an opportunity that obviously is long down the road. But if you're Sam Henches and you continue your success, do you make the jump next year, or do you feel like you want a, another full season of NCAA hockey? I mean, that's a question that I think honestly he needs another full year. Honestly, um, yeah, you know the it, it's 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 tough to say that, and I, and I know Sam, you know any hockey player with that sort of you know, ceiling, that potential ceiling, you know, they want to make an impression. They want to, you know, be able to, you know, show and approve that they can do it. Unfortunately, his track record to me, just there isn't enough on his resume just yet. Um, and I think uh, if I'm the Minnesota wild and that organization, um, I'd probably be saying the same thing. Now the question could also be, um, 
is his development best suited at the collegiate level or does he maybe make the jump to the American Hockey League? Does he sign like an AHL deal? Uh, I don't know. I would say personally, you know, stick with St. Cloud. Um, I don't think you have anything to lose there, but um, that's, you know, obviously decisions with uh, between him and the organization that will happen after this year for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with those sentiments. Let's talk about the power play, shall we? And the success that they've continued to have, obviously, uh, that stems a little bit from the five-on-five play. You know, the Huskies doing a great job moving their feet and stuff. And I think even, you know, it was 1-1 entering the second period in Saturday's contest and, you know, the Huskies start moving their feet. They start creating those opportunities. They cash in obviously quite a bit on special teams, but what is it that you think that, you know, they're doing at five on five that has made them so successful. And then once they get on the special teams, what has been the key, especially this weekend to find the back of the net? Uh, the cycle play yesterday was really, really good. Um, and, you know, just hold down to the puck uh, again, Bemidji, um, you know, talking to uh, former uh, assistant coach Mike Gibbons, I actually spent a, a, a very lengthy amount of time pregame chatting with him. Again, uh, nothing but the best for him. He's a great dude, great coach. Um, just great to talk hockey with him. Um, good to catch up with Gibby. Uh, but, you know, they know they're not the most offensively skilled. They're definitely more of a stay-at-home, you know, defensive. But, again, that at some point wears you down. And especially when Bemidji, uh, you know, they scored first, which they needed to. Uh, but then yeah. St. Cloud answers, they go into it, uh, you know, tied into the second period. But as soon as St. Cloud gets their four check and their cycle going, uh, Bemidji just, they couldn't get the puck away. Um, and then again, you start chasing the game. Um, and that's what Bemidji did. They started taking some stick infraction penalties, um, interference calls. And then again, as you mentioned, it's, you know, five on five driving the special teams. And then for St. Cloud, as uh, they've done at, at times throughout the season, uh, made them pay multiple times. And uh, for Bemidji, just not a good um, not a good recipe for success, even though they did limit the odd man chances that uh, we saw in the very back-and-forth affair on Friday um, against St. Cloud, just getting back to what they do well and just wearing teams down by keeping the puck on their sticks in the offensive zone. Yeah, St. Cloud successful uh, in the faceoff dot uh, this weekend, as well as shots on goal. The one piece I want to point out, it's it's three power plays uh, that were given up by the Huskies on Saturday night. And Friday night, I believe it was only one or two. I'm trying to look here. One or two, was, yeah. Yeah, it was only one on either side. So only four penalties on the entire week and compare that with 10 for Bemidji State. The Huskies, 40 shots on Friday night on the road at the Sanford Center. First game back since the first week of December, you know, we talked about the discipline piece so much. I, uh, you know, it feels like this team finally has, you know, I don't want to say finally because it's a two game sample size, but if they can continue that trend in the NCHC, which is going to be vitally important of keeping down to, you know, two, three, four penalties a night or, or you know, two penalties a game, something like that, because it happens. You take penalties in a hockey game. It's very rare that you go without a penalty in a game. That's just, that's just, you know, how hockey works, but, you know, keeping it, you know, five or under, I would say on a weekend um, is a pretty impressive feat for the Huskies. And if they can do that in the NCHC, that will really bode well for them. Part of that success stems from having the puck. Obviously when you have the puck, you don't have to worry as much about taking infractions because usually infractions get taken when you're chasing the puck. But other than that, did it feel like this group was a little bit more, grounded in the way that they played this weekend or was it just a case of the Huskies were the better team on paper and they carried that offensive success in so that they had the puck so much? It was a bit of both. Um, we talked to Brett, <clears throat> obviously, um, when we had him and Dave Shyak on. And I know that uh, talking pregame also with uh, with the coaching staff for St. Cloud, um, it was, you know, a, a sort of a preaching message that, hey, 
you know, we're good, but we're almost lowering our own ceiling because we're taking penalties we shouldn't be taking. Um, to your point, yes, when you are controlling the puck like you do, you're going to often reduce that. But what the Huskies were doing at times for the first half was we saw some offensive zone penalties. We saw some neutral zone penalties. And a lot of those were just ones that you just can't do. It's, they were avoidable penalties. And a lot of them were out of frustration, just you know, stuff that didn't need to happen, right? Really in hockey is those are there, you know, penalties that are good penalties to take. And, you know, usually those are, you know, defined odd man rushes or not. But that's not what we're talking about. It was, you know, penalties that didn't have to happen. Um, and so I know the coaching staff is preaching that I mean, it looked better yesterday, but as you mentioned, the two game sample size, it's, you know, it's Bemidji. I'm not trying to take anything, anything away from the, you know, from the Beavers because they're still a, a good hockey team. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's a good starting point, uh, with Duluth coming into town next weekend, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, UMD has now lost four in a row. They're going to be motivated to get back in the wing column. They're going to be on the road, so they know they're going to have to play a stingy type. And between these two teams, we've always seen it's been tight checking. Uh, they know each other well. They play similar styles. So it's it's going to be a little bit harder next weekend. So um, I think that's going to be your litmus test is next weekend. And Huskies want to continue that. But, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. They're the better team. When you do that, you're not as shorthanded as much. But also that means don't take – Stupid, dumb penalties, too. That's what was killing them first half. Yeah. Final Huskies question here, Nick. Uh, like you mentioned, Duluth coming into town here. Duluth uh, loses their last two, losing in overtime, and then a 3 to nothing loss the other night against Mankato, um, who is no slouch of a hockey team. Let's just put it that way. And that's all Alex Micheletti is going to get from us. Um, what do you have to expect from the Bulldogs this weekend as they come on the road to the Herbrooks National Hockey Center? And what do the Huskies got to do? Uh, Hossies just have to repeat what they did this weekend, honestly. Uh, you know, don't change a thing. You know, obviously get in behind their D. That's been surprisingly UMD's weakness this year. It's been defensive uh, woes. They, they've had not the greatest goaltending. Uh, defensively, they've been leaky at times. Um, and then also, uh, for whatever reason, Duluth just doesn't have the same scoring touch as they've had in years past. So when they get behind, they haven't been as uh, quick to be able to come back in hockey games. Um, so uh, for St. Cloud, if, if you play the way you did against Bemidji tonight, uh, I should say last couple of nights, you should have success, but don't overlook them. And uh, two, this is now conference play. Uh, they're sitting, what, fourth or fifth now in conference points. So these are really important points on the line for St. Cloud. I would hope that the coaching staff, and I'm pretty sure they will be driving that point home. If you can get six points out of this weekend, that's huge uh, to try to get yourself better position for home ice because um again let's go back uh, six months noah when we were previewing the nchc we basically said the top six uh of this conference is going to be basically a bloodbath and that's exactly what we've been getting this year which means a point here a point there could mean the difference between being on the road uh in march for the uh first uh best of three for the nchc or it could mean uh home ice which is huge for the any team especially st cloud so um you know go in and you know take these points if you can uh you know play play your heart up because again you gotta make up some of these conference points which we're now what four and four on the year um so they're even 500 they gotta start building a, a streak here especially in conference play 
Yeah, and you talk about, obviously, you know, not so much the points, but the wins, how much they mean in the pair-wise, too. Getting an extra victory against a common opponent can, can do for you as well, too. So, like you mentioned, the Huskies, uh, you know, 12-6 and six overall, 4-4 four and four in conference play. They'll host the the 11-8-1 and one, uh, Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, who are 4-3-1 and one in conference play. So, you want to talk about nearly identical records. That's about as close as you're going to get. Should be a good battle at the Herbrook Central Hockey Center. Nick, before we go on to our extra ice session, where we're going to talk about some Western Michigan and NCHC stuff, did you happen to see the score of the uh, um, North Dakota against the U18 U.S. team? Uh, a two to nothing I victory uh, for that U.S. development team, who's a very good hockey team. But we always have this discussion at the holiday break uh, with the U.S. development team. You know, they come in; they're a well-oiled machine at that point. Is this indicative of how good the U.S. program is, or did North Dakota, you know, not have their best night the other night? I uh, honestly. For these types of games, I really don't put much stock into it, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, yeah, US 18 is, is a good hockey team. Let's not take it away. North Dakota also is still a good hockey team. It's exhibition. Um, do I really believe mentally for UND? Are they really putting all their eggs in this basket? No. Um, against an exhibition game. Um, I know that for a lot of folks, they like to hit the panic button for whatever yeah. reason when I see that. Um, you remember, I think the Huskies lost to the US 18 team about two or three years ago as well at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So at the end of it, exhibition game, it means nothing. Um, if anything, it's just to get a little bit of that game speed back into your head after a holiday break. That's really what this is designed to do. Uh, no question North Dakota will be on their horse next weekend um, back in conference play themselves as well. Well said. And speaking of horses, we're going to talk about the Western Michigan Broncos in our extra ice session, a little bit about them and the Michigan, whatever the heck this is, and maybe a little bit about some NCHC future conference things. Welcome in episode number 93, the extra ice session. Nick Maxson joined along myself, Noah Grant and Nick. Uh, one thing to remind our listeners, we'll let them know at the end of the show, but next week's recording time is going to be Monday night. We will have a Tuesday morning release unless otherwise noted. So I just want people to be aware of that. If you're just joining us here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, but it's been a crazy 10 days or so since we last recorded. And one of the biggest stories that came out right after our last episode was the fact that uh, Michigan, the Wolverines were playing on December 29th against Michigan State, uh, but then had a matchup against Western Michigan on the 30th. Of course, they were missing a couple bodies from the World Juniors at that time, but uh, they cited personal health protocol reasons for not playing that second game in as many nights against Western Michigan. Western Michigan was sitting at six in the pairwise. Michigan, I believe, was at three, if I'm not mistaken, um, or maybe, maybe higher than that, but nonetheless, uh, two very close teams, and Regardless of the result, I don't think that a loss to Western Michigan would have done Michigan that much damage just because of how good WMU actually is. But apparently they were scared enough to play the Broncos. And yeah, Nick, this is a bad look <laughs> for the Wolverines. There's no other way to say it. It's it's a horrible look. Um, you know, it's <laughs> I don't care how you spin this. This is one team avoiding to play another team that's better than you. That's all this is. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, a, a couple conversations again around the college hockey world I've had, uh, you know, basically the, the the common theme, again, even in the hockey circle is this is, well, partner, this is chicken crap. You know, this, yeah. this is literally someone bowing out of a game. And, uh, you know, Michigan's been getting a lot of flack from it. 
Um, they deserve every one of it. And how funny would this be, Noah, if the NCAA decides, especially for regional play, right, um, <laughs> to put these two in as the first quarterfinal matchup um, in the regionals? How fun would that be? Um, you know, and it's it's kind of funny because we talked about this early, you know, early on when Michigan, I think initially was ranked number one in the country. And I had mentioned, you know, they're being ranked on their talent, not necessarily their performance. Um uh, you can take any sort of ranking away, you know, because now there's character wise, right? Um, you you kind of wonder what the mood is like amongst the players, right? Because I would think as players, you'd want to, you'd want to, you know, uh, uh, rise to the challenge. Um, yeah. You, you kind of wonder what the, what the thought was between the coaching staff and the, uh, the athletic department, everybody that was involved in making that decision. Uh, yeah. Like I said, not a good look. Um, and it's, uh, it's going to stick with them for quite some time. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we have a new Michigan thing in hockey now. Maybe it's not a goal anymore. Maybe it's just you know <laughs> they pull. Maybe it's they pull the Michigan and they just decided to bow out of a hockey game. I don't know. So um, you know, it, it just seriously though is it's it's uh, it, they, they've earned uh, every little bit of flack that they've had. Um, I, I'm and you kind. Of, I would be curious to if if it. And what started is they're using the cloak of COVID to do this. Yeah. You kind so, of wonder if this. So, so if, the official, this, the official statement, I, I, I just pulled it up here. Of course, it was supposed to be the Great Lakes Invitational Contest. It was just supposed to be played against WMU uh, on December 30th. It says, has been canceled due to health and welfare protocols within the Wolverines program. Regardless of COVID, what is a health and welfare protocol? Like, what, like, what is that? Like, you know, if you, if you, if you say like, citing influenza or something like that like health and welfare protocol sounds like it sounds like a conference it doesn't you know it doesn't sound like you know and that's and that's coming from someone in the medical field and i'm not saying that there's things that don't exist that are aren't health and welfare protocols but that's it's a weird citation it's a weird wording of what you it's not weird it's, it's what's this called it's bs this yeah. is what it is um you know and it's it's what hurts their look, right? If this was the only team they were playing this weekend, it yeah. still looks bad. But what hurts them the most is literally the night before they played full slide of players. They played. So how yeah. is it that you're claiming health and wellness protocol when you literally are playing less than 24 hours beforehand and all of a sudden now can't go up to face the Broncos? That's yeah. And that's, I, and that's, I, that's, and that's I the, the young kids. It's sus. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the kids say. I, I really, I really chuckled because uh, I was looking on Twitter. Of course, Ethan Frank, who's having a great season for Western Michigan, you know, quoted that tweet and just said, you know, don't you play Michigan Tech or Michigan or whatever the night before? Yeah, Michigan was, Tech, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Um, you know, the thing too that I know there's some people that have made the argument that you know they they're missing Owen Power, they're missing a couple of these high end players and stuff. They still had six NHL draft picks on that roster, and you know what? If you're missing bodies because you're a good hockey team, kudos to you for getting guys at the World Juniors. You play the holiday tournament game, you get it done. Like it's, it's just and like the it's the other an piece excuse. Of, well, yeah. Like, what's, the, what's, the other, what's, piece, the other piece of this too is like Western Michigan. Yeah, they're a good hockey team. There's no saying that Michigan still couldn't have beat Western Michigan that night. I mean, in a one game set, yeah. it's college well, obviously, like well, obviously Michigan doesn't believe that because they didn't yeah. want to play them. Um, <laughs> but you know. Who cares? I mean, okay, so Huskies without Jack Peart on Friday, um, yeah. again, because of world junior travel, right? Um, 
it, it doesn't whether it was world junior travel, whether it's injuries or actual sickness. I guess Michigan doesn't know about that, but maybe yeah. we'll get some testing. We'll figure it out. But good hockey teams find a way to play mm-hmm. through that. And so, you know, again, there's, there's really zero argument that Michigan can stand on that's going to make this look any more different than it is. So um, it's sad. You know, you, you kind of wonder if if COVID wasn't around. Would they pull the same stunt? I would think probably not. Um, but let's just say they did. It, it almost looks worse. I almost kind of feel like they're using the COVID cloak to sort of try to f- squeeze their way out of it, even though they did an absolutely terrible job actually trying to pull it off. Yeah. Um, and Michigan Tech gave them a good run in that hockey game. Uh, it was really pulling to, for them to actually you know pull the win out, but uh, unfortunately they didn't. But yeah, not a good look for for Michigan over there. Yeah, not great. And I was thinking back, you know, you're mentioning the Huskies too. I mean, there was a point where the Huskies were missing Sam Henches. They were missing Jack Peart. I think Nolan Walker had the injury bug, all the guys with the flu and stuff. It's like you just play next man up mentality or West or, or, or Michigan Wolverines next game mentality, apparently. Um, but nonetheless, uh, speaking of the NCHC, the NCAA and talking about Western Michigan, you know, all those teams and stuff, we had a little bit of a, a Twitter conversation about a week ago with some of the fans about, you know, are there some potential changes coming, you know, with the addition, you know, Long Island University, Arizona State and the success that they're having. Some teams that are out west that are in the east, I think, for example, Air Force is a really good example of their insane travel schedule because they're actually based in Colorado, uh, but they're playing, uh, you know, out there um, in it with the likes of AIC and things like that. Do you see any sort of, you know, is there a conversation to be had for any sort of divisional pieces like that, you know, have you know, it, it, when you're looking at it, is there anything that you've heard or seen or just your own personal thoughts that you feel are kind of, you know, trending in this direction or maybe at least a, a topic of discussion? Yeah. So the and I want to make sure I preface this, the rumors. These are yeah. straight rumors, right, um, that potentially there could be a swap between the CCHA and the NCHC. And that would include sending Miami and Western Michigan, who I can't if this is actually something that's true, would not be happy about over to the CCHA. uh, And in return, it would be Mankato and St. Thomas joining the NCHC. Um, Now in the bigger limelight of things, Noah, without those being nothing more than just, you know, hearsay. And I don't know if there's really any traction to that yet, but a couple of things. Yes. Arizona state, you talk about Air Force, but how about this? We're forgetting Sioux Falls is getting a Division One program here in the next couple of years. So there's more hockey teams that are coming. And especially with COVID, I think COVID has really put the focus in on travel schedules. It's because fo- it, it had to basically force them to look at their finances really, really closely. Um, it's starting to make more and more sense that college hockey needs to regionalize. Um, I know even Dave Starman has made that mention, Ben Holden, good friends of the podcast and us. Um, hope they're enjoying a good, happy holiday new year. Um, it's kind of been out there. Now, question is with the CCHA just essentially getting started this year, you know, would they even invoke a realignment this quick? Probably not. Um, but I do think the broader discussions out there, you know, that college hockey needs to get regionalized. Um, if there's one negative thing about the NCHC, at least in its inception. And we talked about what the WCHA was and what the NCHC become. Now, obviously hindsight is a little bit different now that the NCHC has kind of become it is, you know, what it has and now a college hockey powerhouse. Uh, but there was still something missing, right. To make it 
even better. That was you're yeah. missing some of those old rivalries. Um, and effectively, I think for college hockey, yeah, travel, but also fan engagement, we really saw how real like fun this non-conference schedule was for St. Cloud State playing Mankato. Again, just getting off of Benji, you had Wisconsin, you had the Gophers. Uh, you, you had all these teams that used to play all the time. And uh, I think it really has, and I think it will continue to drive the discussion on, you know, where college hockey is, where it needs to go to continue to be successful and more so just kind of protect itself financially too. You hate to say it, but money drives a lot of these conversations and uh, COVID, uh, I, I know for the, you know, I mean, we could look at the NHL really hit their pocketbook. There's no question to hit the college hockey pocketbooks probably even harder. Um, so yeah, there's realignment coming at some point. Question is how soon and what it's going to look like. We still don't know. So we've got a couple of follow-up questions that kind of came from our listeners too. The first, the first piece of this is, uh, you know, we only have eight teams right now. Of course, back in the day, you know, with with some old WCHA stuff, you had Bemidji State, Michigan Tech in there. Alaska Anchorage was even, you know, pulling up the tail end. Um, Mankato was in there, although they didn't have a great season in 2011-12. But, um, you know, the piece to throw out there right now is why St. Thomas, why not Bemidji State? Um, and Nick, we kind of had talked about it. Yeah, it, it, uh, but I think people uh, would be curious to hear that. It's about it's money. Uh, Bemidji State, no, granted, you know, there's you have to separate the success of the program and also the university slash, you know, where they're at as well, right? Um, Travel-wise, Bemidji makes sense. Don't get me wrong. They're not that far away. Um, but unfortunately for St. Thomas and what kills – you know, and what makes them such better as well. St. Thomas is also right here in the Twin Cities, so a better travel option. To St. Thomas, uh, for those who know St. Thomas University, the finances are in no short supply. Um, and I think also, and this is, you know, a prediction in two, three years, St. Thomas with probably the scholarship money, they're going to they're gonna start to compete really, really high on the Division One level here really, really soon, uh, especially with Rico behind the plate. But it's really what it comes down to. In fact, um, you know, the big reason why Miami's team has been rumored to be potentially in the exile is the uh, not just what the program with hockey in Miami, but the school they're in terrible financial standing right now. And if you think about yeah. it from a conference standpoint, and it's just no different. I mean, effectively the group is holding up the individual right now and that's okay. You know I mean? It's never a problem that you can, you know, get rid of. But uh, again, you know, Miami, I, I think even if you talk to Chris Bergeron, he would admit that it's not ideal for them for the travel. It's not ideal for them to try to recruit against people in this region. Um, it, it's just not it's almost a disadvantage for them. Honestly, it's been really, really tough for them. So um, there's so many factors to play. But between those uh, two schools, uh, specifically money, hands down, is the big driver. And uh, unfortunately, St. Thomas just has a lot more. Um, that Bemidji does. Yeah. The, the last piece uh, that I want to discuss for sure um, goes along with uh, NCHA commissioner, Josh Fenton, who had a great run and has been on the show twice. Fantastic human being. Maybe we see if we can try to grab him one more time before he's on his way out, but uh, he's headed over to the summit league uh, and doing what he knows best in that conference. And the discussion has been, you know, you've got St. Thomas, you've got North Dakota, Omaha, Denver, four out of the eight NCHA teams are actually summit league teams too. Uh, you know, uh, excuse me, three of the NCHC teams plus St. Thomas um, in, in that conversation there. And they talked about how if you're going to bring St. Thomas in, doesn't Josh Fenton do what he does best and turn things into a summit league and that sort of thing. 
I, and they uh, the discussion was that you know North Dakota would move to the Summit League. I I don't think North <laughs> I, I exactly that was my reaction. I don't think North Dakota would ever want to relinquish what they have with the NCHC. North Dakota is the biggest money maker right now in the NCHC. Even if St. Thomas comes in as the as a big money maker too. One North Dakota might still have them beat, and number two, in terms of clout alone, North Dakota definitely has them beat. They are the pinnacle program in the NCHC. I know this is a Saint Cloud State podcast, but they they are the team. They are the team in the NCHC that drives a lot of what goes on. I I don't see anything like that happening. Where even if there is a Summit League, where you know somehow Air Force and ASU end up in that league. North Dakota is not the team that's that's on the move. I'm sorry. I, the, the, I, I had the exact same reaction, too. And that's, you know, not to make fun of our fans or anything like that. But there's just, you know, it's not it's not that casual where they go, oh, yeah, well, North Dakota will just move over to the Summit League. North Dakota is going nowhere unless the old WCHA puts itself back together. And North Dakota is there to stay. Am I am I wrong? Like, you know. If if you're looking at teams in the NCHC, I think North Dakota is untouchable. I think Duluth's not going anywhere. I think St. Cloud's not going anywhere. You know, um, I I don't I, I don't. What is your response to that? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, first of all, you know, first of you know, couple things. What's what's <laughs> uh, let's start with square one. So, number one, the Summit League. Um, there's no official ice hockey conference called the summit league. So you got to have that first before you even talk about. Yeah. That, that's that a, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> it's a bit of a problem, right? Uh, too, right. We just talked about revenue. We talked about, you know, how conferences share it and, and how everything goes together. Uh, the NCHC, again, there's, it's in good financial position because yeah. of its members right now, the summit league is not quite at the same level. So North Dakota will be missing out on that. Plus, again, a lot of what NCHC revenue generates. I mean, NCHC has a streaming platform. They've got business partners that have been around since inception. They've got a great supporting cast also as well, whereas the Summit League, they've got it, but it's – I don't know how else to phrase this, and I'm, I'm trying to be as respectful as I can. It's just not the same level. That the yeah. money and the interest the, in Summit League is not the, there. The, so, the, fra- the phrase that I used on Twitter, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, that's – part of it but again the wcha wasn't broken it was still fixed too so it's not it's not that yeah. the, the the issue is you know at this point because it's we're not talking about a big 10 having to form and you know big 10 revenue we're not talking about bigger money you're yeah. talking about the opposite north dakota is in its best financial position now in moving to the summit league right now at its current form would be a step back for them financially. Is, so is is that a piece that's a part of the conversation too? You mentioned, you know, and that's kind of where I go back to that too, where I say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do you think the NCA is also at that point where, yeah, they maybe consider other conferences or that sort of thing, but they're really worried about having a WCHA 2.0 on their hands, if you will, because to be fair, the Big Ten and the NCHC are two of the biggest money drivers and two of the most successful conferences in college hockey. So why Obviously, you can tweak pieces of that, but why would you want to essentially rip that conference in half You know, with a move like that? Do you think that that does come into the part of the equation, knowing the response of the old WCHA splitting, what it meant for college hockey no. you know, nine years ago? I, I, 
No, because I don't think the conversation is the same. I really don't. Um, you know, again, the conversation driver with college hockey right now is to regionalize it. Now, with the summer, like, yeah, you have three of the eight, but what's what about the other five? Right there. It's yeah. it's you know, you got to look at the big picture. Um, I think where the bigger conversation is, you know, where it's Air Force, where it's Arizona State, it's these teams that are being independent. How about Alaska Fairbanks and then also the University of Alaska? Right. What do you do with these schools? Yeah, um, Hunts, you know, Huntsville, been, who rejoins the mix, Long Island University, who's in there. Like you mentioned, South Dakota's right. getting a team potentially. So, so, so the the college ha- hockey landscape is going to be changing quite a bit, and it's a good thing, right? These are these are growing pains, um, but as far as what I see, at least from the Big Ten, the uh, NCAC and the and the CCHA, um, to me, you know, maybe an expansion of one of yeah. those guys. Um, but as far as the NCHC and those three, you know, could, could there be an alignment with those three at some point? Um, I think you're starting to get a little bit more conversation. Again, the non-conference schedules uh, I've kind of proven that. Um, but again, college hockey is still a fragile financial sport too. Um, yeah. It's not where it's college football, right? Where you have all these teams, 150 plus or wherever the number is now. And um where essentially there's just so much money in there. It doesn't matter how bad or good you are. Um, college hockey isn't quite that level at all. So, you know, the, these fears of splitting apart the NCHC, uh, no. First of all, um, you know, every team is under a contract. Um, you are supposed to be fulfilling to that contract. Any team that wants to be expelled has to be voted off by the Board of Governors. Um, there's also a buyout that has to happen with that. So financially, it doesn't make sense. Um, and for the Summit League, yeah, for any team that wants to grow itself, right, you somehow have to attract them away from what they currently have. And if you're the Summit League right now at this day, I don't know what your proposal would be to those schools that would be offering anything better for as right. far as competitive stuff, as far as a financial spot and more better revenue than where the NCH is at. So does it happen now? No. Now, could we revisit this conversation in five years? The Summit League has absolutely exploded. And now that's a better option. Maybe as of right now, that's not the case. Definitely agree 100%. The last piece I want to throw out here too, and you kind of made me think of it when you talked about expansion. I think the NCAC would be awesome to have 10 teams instead of eight, you know, and then maybe you you have a couple of other teams to go to the CCHA. So my question for you is this, Nick, you've got St. Thomas who's in the, who's, kind of moving into the ccha right now you've got bsu who's there you've got mankato who's there you've got western michigan and miami on the other side of that piece potentially flopping spots you also have asu air force and potentially a new team in south dakota if you're at the nchc level i think it's fair to say north dakota st cloud duluth denver omaha um i miss it colorado CC. college cc who are your other four teams that you would like to put in the NCHC to round out your top 10? Oof. Uh, so this is where it's tough for me because yeah, at the end of it, again, what, what it's so easy. Why I preface the, the rumors part is why would St. Thomas enter into CCHA for what a couple of years and all of a sudden go to the NCHC. Just, it doesn't happen like that. Um, Air force. I like to see air force in there. They're yeah. not that far away from, Denver and CC. Why not? Again, we're yep. talking about regionality. Bring them in. Um, I would like to see, honestly, um, as weird as this might sound, bring in Arizona State. I was thinking um, the same thing. Yep. And, and and here's why I say that. It's against the regionality thing, which I get it, but there's plenty of money in Arizona State. Um, they're getting a new barn. 
um, to me, there is actually a successful hockey program too. They kind of get overshadowed because they're not in like in any one big conference where they can be dominant. They're an independent team, uh, but they're, they've been competitive. And so I think if you put them into something that's a little bit more in, a, in that kind of environment, I think they have a chance to shine. Um, so I would see Arizona state. Now let's, let's go ahead and say it. Now, if I didn't care about any other conference, um, here's what I would bring in. I would bring in uh, Mankato for sure. That's yeah. an easy one for me. I think they deserve to be there. And uh, just for the sake of the podcast, let's let's throw an oddball on there. Why not? That's, that's kind of what we do. Um, I'll go with. Uh, sorry, why, go ahead. Why not? Why not BSU? I honestly, I still think BSU. I mean, they're they're right in the middle of everything, you know. And I think that you can make the argument. Yeah, BSU has been a CCHA team for a long time. Maybe they can't require the fee, but I think BSU or St. Thomas, I think one of the Minnesota teams has got to get in, you know, and, and I think that it would, think, to me, it's St. Thomas. Yeah. Saint and Thomas I, to and me. then I think Bemidji stays there. W, WMU and Miami can go to the CCHA. The Alaska schools can continue to filter and hopefully to the CCHA, you know, um, you know, I, I think that's the best solution is something yeah. along, along. And the question is, if AS if ASU doesn't join, if ASU maybe goes to the Big Ten for whatever reason, I don't know if they can or would. But you know they've been playing a Big they Ten can. schedule for quite a bit. You know, and they're a big school. Um, <clears throat> you know, then maybe do you consider one of those other? Then does BSU maybe make the cut? I have no idea. But yeah, I definitely agree on, on your on your first year. I think ASU would be a fantastic addition to the NCHC, and I think how great would it be to have the NCHC have ten teams and you know the top two teams get a first round buy or something in the NCHC playoffs, or only the top eight teams make the playoffs and the bottom two don't make the NCHC tournament, just like we have it now. I, you know, I think it'd be fantastic. Um, well, the other thing that St. Thomas brings too is that it brings the NCHC into a major media market. You know, you talk about. Um, you know, the streaming service and granted, it hasn't been perfect. We all know that it's had stops and downs. Um, but to improve on that and those types of technology, those are cheap. Um, and that's the other thing that people have to understand is, you know, those services, if you think paying how much, you know, for those services a year, uh, I would love to have these people see the bill, what it's like to actually bring this up to the ground and maintain that it's, it's, it's not cheap. Um, but if you can get, uh, tap into those markets and generate fan interest with a major metropolitan area, which if you look around this region, the big one is Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, St. Thomas is the one to do it because if it can generate interest, if they're competitive, which again, we talked about before, I think they will be uh, very, very soon. Um, that brings more viewership into the streaming service, which means more dollars and revenue into the conference itself, which means more improvements and more money for everybody else. And then maybe, maybe there's a phase two where, now you're in you know, such a good financial position that you can bring on Bemidji State. You know you might, you know, have a little bit of red line there per se, but you're you're able to absorb that per se, um, no matter what. So, um, you know, that's it. That's that's just kind of how these things go. That's and to me, that's the next step for the NCHC. And to me, is the key. I think is St. Thomas. If I had obviously the two, and that's where those rumors are, Mankato and St. Thomas. I think those would be uh, the best looking suitors per se. Even though Mankato applied. Actually, technically, three or four years ago, they were denied. Um, now, with St. Thomas in the fold uh, for an even number, I think that that might be a different story if indeed that uh, those rumors do come to fruition. Yeah, very interesting. We'll keep you updated on those sorts of things. Just uh, it's not as good as the NORPAC was. Let's just put it that way. Um, no. <laughs> it was much better than what the NORPAC was, in case you don't know what the NORPAC is. Uh, look it up NORPAC, N O R P A C, NORPAC. Anyway, um, 
Speaking of things coming up in our world, like we had mentioned, uh, in case you forgot, we are recording on Monday night next week with a Tuesday morning release, unless otherwise noted. So we'll have a lot of fun things, of course, recapping the doubleheader that will be going on January 7th and 8th. Um, as we so eloquently remember, um, men's hockey, women's hockey on the docket. Women's hockey will play first each day. I believe, uh, if I can remember the times, I think it was 3 o'clock and 7.30 Friday and 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Saturday. So Herbrooks National Hockey Center, be there, be square, find a way to watch it, find a way to be there. Uh, in Minnesota Wild news, the Wild do travel to Ottawa on Monday, excuse me, that game is postponed. Uh, so they are off actually until next Thursday. They will play in Boston at 6 p.m. And then they will be at home against Washington on Saturday. And they don't play um, again until the following Wednesday because that Winnipeg game is also postponed too. So the Wild have a very interesting schedule coming up. Uh, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, that's January. I just want to make sure. That is January. So uh, keep in touch. We'll keep in touch. And I think that will do it for episode number 93. And we will see you back in the den soon.